Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. What's up, ladies and gents? We're back with another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor. Today, I've got Ian Reeves. He's a friend of mine. He's from Kansas City, Missouri. Met Ian in Hawaii at the Real Estate Mastermind I was a part of this summer. And um, you can find Ian over on Instagram at Path to Freedom with Ian. So go check that out. Ian has got 130 doors. And uh, that's made up of single families, some apartments, and a retail strip center. And um, and he's got a, such a cool story. And we're going to talk not only about investing, but also about mindset, which is huge when you're doing this stuff. Um, he's also going to give you some app recommendations that you can use on your flips that will help you. And I'll also walk you through his process on how he analyzes flips and determines whether he wants to pursue those or not, and kind of how he's set his team up to do that work. So this is going to be a really fun episode. I suggest you take some notes and um, yeah, let's dive into this thing. Ian, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. really appreciate you having me on. I'm glad this all uh, worked out. Yeah, man. Absolutely. All right. So um, so Ian, kind of let the, the listeners know kind of how you got started doing this. I know you like, like myself, you were doing the nine to five thing and then decided you wanted a change in your life. So let's, I guess let's start there with kind of what you were doing before you started doing real estate investing and, and how you've kind of built your portfolio and your strategy and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, I went to school for mechanical engineering and, uh, I was working right out of college. I hired on with, uh, I'm actually from the Northwest, but I, uh, hired on with a company based out of Kansas city and, uh, they are like a really heavy industrial construction company. So they build power plants and stuff like that. And, uh, so yeah, I was doing the, I wouldn't say nine to five. It was more of a, <laughs> a longer hour, pretty demanding job, but I enjoyed it for the most part for a while. Um, but because we were building power plants, so we were basically, we'd, we'd moved uh, an area and then we, the power plant, and then, uh, we'd move somewhere else, build another power plant. So really long hours. And, uh, you know, kind of had to move around a lot and then got back to the uh, office here in Kansas City. I didn't want to move anymore. So kind of took a job there and tried to stick around for a while and uh, realized I didn't really like what I was doing and just started doing a lot of reading. Also had gone through a divorce and just kind of was for a very variety of reasons was kind of at a little bit of a low spot. And I think a lot of times there's, you know, something bad that happens that causes people to and start looking to do things differently and uh so i started doing some reading at first it was mostly just like the personal development stuff um a lot of those types of books and then it eventually led me to the uh, financial books and then rich dad poor dad and that was when i read that book that was kind of like the light bulb went off and everything just made a lot of sense so uh being an engineer and kind of thinking analytically and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff that i've been around uh you know, it just logically made a whole lot of sense, everything you're saying in that book. So um started moving pretty quickly at that point. <laughs> cool. Cool. So um man, I mean so so what what type of engineer were you? 
I was a mechanical. Mechanical. My okay. job was, yeah, I was really more of a, so my actual job um, when I was in the field was superintendent. So I was managing, I uh, managing construction crews, building power plants, basically. So a lot of it was actually pretty, it definitely did a really good job preparing me for real estate because I was, you know, managing people, managing subcontractors, putting together scopes of work, estimating. Um, so a lot of the stuff is pretty transferable. So I'm pretty, pretty grateful for that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and, and, you know, the book rich dad, poor dad's one that pops up a lot with a lot of investors. And that book was probably the first real estate investment book that I read that I, I remember finishing the book and being like, I got to do this, man. This is what I got to do. This, yeah. this book is so inspirational. And it's like, I, I still get the same level of inspiration when I read it today. It's just a great book. Um, I, I yeah, think, I mean, I, yeah, if you haven't read that book and you're listening to this, go get the book and read it for crying out loud. But, um, but yeah, that one, that one's a great one. I, I didn't really realize that it was, that was the one book that made me realize that, uh, well, there's actually a formula and, you know, before I kind of, when I saw people who are wealthy or financially free, I assumed that there was some sort of either luck or they got, you know, born into money or know they built some giant business i didn't really realize that it was actually possible to be financially free as a you know fairly average person so that was that really hit home for me (laughs) i mean that's that to me is probably the 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 greatest thing about real estate is you know it is it is completely doable for anyone you know regardless of where you came from or where you're starting i mean start with zero you can totally do it and that's what I love about all these stories, all these people I've had on the podcast. And I mean, it's, it's literally a mindset issue. And like, once you, once you get your mind right and you start doing, you start attacking things in the right way, you will experience inertia and failure. But as long as you don't stop at that point, it will work out. And, and there is a formula for this stuff and it does work. And so, you know, before we get into, you know, the real estate portfolio you had and how you built that, you know, I'm just, I'm putting myself in your shoes. You've got a job you're not crazy about. You go through a divorce. And now you're at kind of a low, both with your career and, you know, personally with what's going on with that. And then you decide to go this different path. So, you know, if you had stopped at that point and just given up, it would have been a pretty dark story, right? I mean, you would have just kind of been like, oh, this is the worst. But it's like you kept going and you kept trying and you tried to, you tried this real estate thing. And like, what, what at that point were you thinking, like you didn't know real estate would work at that point, right? Like, what were you thinking at that point in your life about like what you were going to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. I mean, so when growing up, both of my parents had entrepreneurial ventures and I kind of watched them, I watched them struggle, <laughs> you know, being self-employed is difficult and building a business is difficult. And, uh, I always kind of told myself, you know, I'm just going to let somebody else worry about the bottom line. But then I guess after reading that book, it just made me realize, you know, there's how oh, there's just so much more um, reward in trying to actually build something yourself, you know. And uh, that book, coupled with all the other stuff, and, you know, I want to be clear that was all of that was completely my fault and due to poor choices I'd made and stuff like that. But, um, it just really made me realize that if I was going to get the fulfillment and satisfaction out of life that I wanted, that I had to, you know, do the tough thing, do the difficult thing. And 
you know, make my own way. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess that's what started it. Yeah, yeah. So so how did you how did you transition into doing this um, from that point? Um, so I did I did both for a long time. So I kept my job as long as I possibly could, probably a lot longer than most people would have, but. Um, the first thing that I did was I went and bought a duplex. So I house stacked a duplex. So, um, it was pretty interesting because, you know, I, at that point I'd been with the company for 10, you know, 10 plus years and had a high six figure salary. And, you know, all my friends are out buying half a million dollar houses and I was kind of doing the exact opposite. So I, like I sold my boat, <laughs> <laughs> sold a bunch of stuff and I basically downgraded my lifestyle and moved into a you know, moved into half a duplex and fixed up the other half. So that was how I started. Nice. And, uh, in my next deal, I did a sub two and then, uh, I ended up quitting the first company and I went to work for another one. And at that point, that was also when I met my first partner and, uh, we kind of decided that, you know, if we wanted to grow a portfolio fast, the strategy that made the most sense to focus on was the burst strategy. So, Nice. Um, so we started doing that and, uh, we started off pretty strong. So I think we immediately bought two houses and then the next time around we bought three and then, you know, we scaled up pretty quickly, raised a little bit of money as well. And, uh, you know, we just started building as fast as we could, as safely as we could for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I did eventually go part-time, um, with the second company, which was worked out really well. So I, I worked three days a week, so I did three tens, and uh, I was able to do that while doing real estate at the same time while. And uh, the benefit, the big benefit there was um, have, maintaining my W two salary allowed me to keep getting loans, so I was able to kind of finance the rentals and then. Also, the thing that we figured out is even with the burst strategy you know, you're still going to run out of money <laughs> unless yep. you get really, really good deals. Yep. So we started flipping just to kind of inject money into the company so we could keep growing. And the first flip was actually accidental. We, we were intending to burr it. And then we realized, Hey, if we sell this, we can make a good chunk of money. So that was kind of another light bulb went off. And then, uh, um, at some point, you know, the, we realized that, you know, we need to start making some money here. Um, you know, we got more going out than's coming in. So we kind of shifted away from doing rentals and uh, started just focusing on flipping for a little bit and uh, really building a uh, good size flipping business. So like we're doing five or six a month now. That's and, great. Uh, that's, that's, that's a lot. So, yeah. so, so tell, tell, <laughs> tell the audience how many, how many doors you have right now. And, and the, are these all single family? Do you have apartments? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, about 130 doors. Um, it's a mix. So it's, I'd say probably 30 or 40 of them are single families. And then we have, uh, so I have two different partners. Um, my partner, Matt, he's the one that I do, uh, in most of the flipping, uh, flipping with, he's kind of a more active partner. And I have another partner, um, that we're, we have some apartments and, uh, we also have a strip center as well. So, yep. Gotcha. Okay. So forty, about forty single families, and how many doors? How, how like how many doors do your apartments have? How many apartment complexes do you own? Um, we have a fifteen, an eight, and a seventeen. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And we had another one, but we sold it. 
<laughs> gotcha. recently. So we've actually, we've actually sold, we've sold off a few things here in the last year or so. Sure. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. You mentioned a, a second ago and I wanted to, to stop because um, let, let's explain what a sub two deal is. Talk, talk us through yeah. that, how you structured that. So that, that was, I've only done one <laughs> and uh, it was kind of, so that was very, that was my second deal. And I was trying to figure out how I could keep acquiring with kind of minimal money out of pocket. And, uh, I basically, I took this guy out to lunch. So I, I read about the sub two, or maybe I listened to it on a podcast. I'm not sure, but I, I found out about this guy in Kansas city that was doing it. And I took him out to dinner and just kind of picked his brain and, uh, Basically, just started after work. I'd start cold calling people on Craigslist, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was actually cold calling landlords. So, like, I'd find uh, I'd find a for rent, and then I'd say, "Hey, would you have any interest in selling?" And uh, I think I probably just got a little bit lucky, but anyway, I did find somebody that wanted to do that, and uh, I definitely kind of leaned on this person for help a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was able to get through it. So basically, how it works is. I take title, so I buy it and I take title to the property, but the loan remains in their name. So the mortgage, the original mortgage is basically, so the property is purchased subject to the original mortgage. So the mortgage still exists. Um, there are some things that I had to do, you know, insurance wise and whatnot. Um, they were a little interesting, but yeah. So I basically have, you know, 30 year fixed Fannie Freddie mortgage on it that I just pay on the old owner's behalf. So, yeah, interesting. So, so, so when you purchased that, I'm assuming that did you did you pay the difference in a down payment to the owner, or how did how was that structured? Um, like, so there really, man, I got, so there really was very little equity in the property at that point. It's actually appreciated significantly since then, but at that point, there was very little equity, and the tenant had just moved out and it needed some work. So, I basically just took. I, I think I maybe gave him a thousand bucks and then I paid for the attorney to write up all the papers and whatnot. So I was basically, you know, very, very minimal money out of pocket. Um, but then I did have to go and do a renovation on it. I think I spent about eight grand getting mm-hmm. it fixed up and tenant ready. And, uh, then I leased it out to a new person. So I think now it's leased for 1300 a month and my mortgage is like eight, 40 something. So make pretty good cash flow on it. Yeah. So, and I've never done one of those myself, so I'm, I'm learning along with the audience here, but in this situation where you, you do this and you take title, but the mortgage is in the old owner's name, uh-huh. are you, are you paying the owner who's paying the mortgage? Or are you paying the mortgage directly and on their behalf? I'm paying the mortgage directly. And the reason there is because what happens if I pay the owner and then they don't pay the mortgage? Exactly. Right? That's what so. I was going to ask about. <laughs> yeah. That, that, so that would I, seem I just, like the risk there to me. So you're, so the, yeah. the, the more, I guess the mortgage company will accept a check from someone other than the mortgagee. I, I mean, I'm guessing. So what I, so what I did is, um, I actually just got online access to their, they gave me their login ah. to their online and then I just do it electronically. Nice. So uh, okay. That's interesting. So yeah, it's with Bank of America so on that mm. case. So I just paid online. Yeah. So, so does Bank of America know that you're doing this? Would they allow this? Um, I think it's more of a don't ask, don't tell. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I, I I didn't know. Like, I, I don't know that I've seen 
I don't know that I've seen clauses in in these in the paperwork that says you can't do this necessarily, but I'm just curious because I've never done it myself, and um, it's an interesting way to yeah, take, I mean, take there, control. Yeah, there is a do on sale clause, so I have enough equity to where, you know, if they said, "Hey, you need to refinance or or whatever," I'd probably just go ahead and sell it. Yeah, sure. Um, but so I mean, you, you always need to be prepared for you know the what ifs. But um, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about know, the let's, ta- let's talk about the do on sale clause too, because I was actually talking mm-hmm. with somebody yesterday about this. They were talking about deeding things in and out of their LLC and triggering the do on sale clause. And um, yeah. yeah, let's talk through that real quick. Explain what a do on sale clause is and how that's used in these in the paperwork yeah, on these deals. So, so most banks in their mortgages are going to write a do on have a do on sale clause, which basically says. If the title transfers, or if the name, the title transfers, they have the right. Doesn't mean they're going to, but they have the right to call the note due, right, prematurely. And uh, you know, it really just depends. I mean, I've talked. I know a guy that's done hundreds of these that's never had any issues. Um, so for the most part, if the bank's getting paid, they, for the most part, don't care where it's coming from, yeah, especially sure. if it's just a regular. Um, but I mean, it absolutely is. They have the right to do it. So, sure. you know, if, if interest rates went to 15%, yeah, they'd probably be <laughs> looking for that this stuff. This guy's only paying 3%. Yeah. yeah it's, something <laughs> to, it's definitely a risk. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I have one out of 130 that's a sub two. So I'm, you know, not that worried no, about it. Definitely but, uh, not. Definitely not. And that's, uh, that was, that's, 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 that's all it, that I was doing. That's interesting. That's, <laughs> man, that's good stuff. That's, that's good stuff there. Yeah. Um, Cool. So um, you've got partners on this. Are these partners mm-hmm. like how, how have you, you know, going from zero to would you say 130 doors? How have you funded all yeah. this? Did you fund this with money that you earned and saved? Did your partners bring capital in? How'd you do that? Yes, yeah, so we've, we've done a little bit of a mix of everything. So um, when I so when I quit my first company. Uh, I had, you know, stock with that company, so I, I liquidated that. So I got a pretty decent payout, and uh, that was kind of my seed money that I started with my partner and I. And then I also, um, like on that ta- uh, duplex, for example, I pulled out a, I pulled a HELOC on it before I moved out, so I pulled out the equity. So I kind of used leverage to the, a lot of leverage in the beginning, and then we kind of started flipping, and that was bringing money in. Um, we also did an equity partnership for one of the apartment buildings. So we have an equity partner in one of them. And then uh, the other partner also brought some money in as well. So it's kind of a little bit mix of everything. <laughs> nice. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So, so at what point when, at what point did you transition into doing real estate full time and out of your job? How many doors did you have? Was there a certain, you know, income you were making or you had, was there a certain cash flow profit number you had coming in off all this? You said, I want to get there before I leave this job or how did you, how did you analyze that whole situation? Yeah, that was a little tricky. So I actually held on for a long time. So I was over a hundred doors when I uh, quit completely. But uh, actually even today, most of my income comes from the flips. It's not coming from the rentals. And uh, there's a couple couple reasons for that. So one of them was like we weren't making as much income off of our rentals as we should have for a couple of reasons. One was two of the bigger projects were major rehabs. So there is a pretty significant amount of time between buying them and actually getting to performing and making money. 
And then uh, our strip center, so we bought, it was 17 units of commercial space, um, five buildings, 17 units. So it's like, uh, you know, office in the front, warehouse in the back, the loading dock, that kind of thing. Uh, so when we purchased that, we also purchased some land. So we were, that was kind of dragging the, I guess the uh, cash flow down a little bit. And then they were all underperforming and we had to go through and, you know, all the leases were way under market. So we had to go through and then re-sign leases. And something that I didn't know about commercial space at the time is, so if you have a leasing person, they actually get paid a commission on the value of the lease. So if it's like a five-year lease at, you know, 1500 bucks a month, they're going to get 3% of the total value of that lease uh, when you release it. So like every time we get one released, then we have to pay out a big chunk of money, right? <laughs> so <Fun. laughs> we're just now getting to a point where that property is, you know, starting to make some good money. And then our other one, you know, we just got it above the, you know, where it's starting to make a little bit of money. So there was a pretty big, you know, dip in cash flow there. Um, sure. But yeah, most of the income was coming from flipping. And that was actually part of the reason that we kind of took a break on rentals and went more towards flipping because I was like, I was definitely at the end there, you know, managing, you know, we were doing multiple flips a month at a hundred, over a hundred rentals and, uh, you know, still working a normal job. <laughs> I was starting, I was starting to rip my hair out. I bet you know, were. Yeah. That sounds just a lot. crazy. So I was like, that's, we so, got to just focus a little bit more on flipping and, and live off of that income rather than trying to get to the past. Sure. So it was a mix of both. <laughs> so, you, so you have to have, I'm assuming you have to have property managers on all this, right? You guys. Have, yes. Third, sure. third party managers. Okay. Yeah. Um, is it the same manager managing the single families as the apartments or those different managers? Um, it's the majority of them are with two different managers. Um, we did find that we had one property manager that was really good with single families and then we gave them a multifamily and their performance wasn't that good. So we're actually in the middle of switching one of them right now. Interesting. And then the, the commercial space was a different property manager, just different type of sure. tenant there. And then one of our buildings was in a, a secondary market area, probably yeah. about a, an hour and a half away. So that was a different property manager. Yeah. Well, so, so you mentioned something that I find to be so interesting and, and I've also experienced and I, I was, I was just on AJ Osborne's podcast and we were talking about this, but it's the concept of not living off of your real estate investment income. And yeah. we do the same thing. I, my primary income is from appraisal, my appraisal business. I'm, I'm a licensed yep. appraiser. I do that from my house. I work out of my house and I, I quit the nine to five gig so I could focus on my investment business, but I had to have income and I don't want to be pulling yep. every dollar out of my investment business because then I can't reinvest and grow it. Right. And like you said, exactly. the birth strategy, you know, it, it, it the, the way some people maybe misunderstand the birth strategy is they think that, you know, you're just magically going to get all your money back and there's no money out of pocket. Well, that may work on yeah. occasion. Occasionally you may get back more than, you know, you're all in investment, but nine times out of 10, even if your refi comes in right where you want it, you know, and you're at 75% loan to value or 80% loan to value, whatever it is, you still have those yeah. interest only payments and stuff here and there like utilities and, 
that, you know, you may, yeah. you may still have five grand going out a deal, you know? And so yeah. if you do a hundred doors, do the math, you know, there's a lot of cash that's soaked, soaked up by those properties, even though you have a ton of equity. So like, yeah, you know, that's sucking, sure. that's sucking money out. Um, while they're, yeah, you, you know, th- these things are rented and then you got CapEx stuff that'll pop up and you yeah. know, you know how it is single family, you're making 200 bucks a door on average. So you, you know, $2,400 a year, and then you have some pipes, get some roots in them or something. And you got $5,000 repair. There goes two years of profit yeah. right out the window. So we've experienced the yeah, exact same sure. thing. We've experienced the exact same thing. The profit from the single families, we put right back into the business to buy more and for reserves, I live off of my appraisal income and the income from my real estate license, as well as yep. we live off of flip income. And I would suggest yep. that I would I would propose the same situation for all those out there that are trying to build a single family portfolio and are struggling with how to make income. If you will not live off the single family income and plow that back into your business and have some secondary way to make money like flipping or if you're licensed in something like uh, having an appraisal license or something else, keep that income going while you build your portfolio. Because if you suck all the profit out of your portfolio, it's going to severely hinder your growth, your growth over time. Yeah. And it all depends. Like there, there is a tipping point too, right? Absolutely. When you're, when you're first starting to grow your portfolio, um, that's also where your most risk is as well. So like, it's hard, like it takes a while. Real estate gets better with age, (laughs) right? It matures. Totally. So when you're first, when you're first buying everything, so like in the first, as you alluded to, in the first year of ownership, that's when you're going to find, inevitably, you're going to rehab the house, a person's going to move in there, and you think that you got everything during the rehab, but you know, when a person actually starts living there, they're going to find things that you missed. So like, yep. this drain line was clogged, didn't know about it, or like, yep. there's a leak here, like their toilet, you know, these beer placed. You're like, things just happen. And I found that in the first year of ownership, you know, you really don't make a lot of cash flow with any. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> second, true words. Second year is a little yep. better. Third year is even a little better and yep. gets better and better. And especially you start getting a little bit of rent appreciation, right? And yep. uh, things just get better and better. Yeah, and, and not, your equities, yeah, go your ahead. Equities building and yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. My, I would, my long-term goal is, you know, get, like actually cut down the portfolio and have less properties, but, you know, pay some of them off to get that really high cash flow. Yeah. You know, so, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's at that point that you actually can live off the money and not be hurting the business, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's delayed gratification and yeah. And, you know, to your point, year one, you know, you get the tenant in there and you get a laundry list of things that, they, that you, you know, that aren't working, you got to go fix those. And then it may take, you know, longer than you anticipated to get them leased out. So there's higher yeah. vacancy rate than, you know, your average. But, in, you know, as they get as they get leased out and occupied and you get the problems fixed, all of a sudden it starts it starts becoming a lot smoother. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. All right. So, yeah. um, so what's your goal with all this? Um, you know, my goal, really the goal is, Financial freedom. So I want to have the freedom to be able to do what I want with my time and whatever I deem to be most important at that time. And uh, I do. So right now, everything is pretty active. I'm very much involved in the day to day, but I do have a, you know, three to five year goal of it becoming much more passive 
and then also having locational freedom. So right now, um, my business won't really operate very well without me being in Kansas City. <laughs> sure. And uh, both me and my partner, you know, we have the goal of getting the business to a point to where we, you know, hire a couple people and can actually run it remotely and uh, have a little more flexibility to be able to do the things that we want to do. So that's yeah. the big goal for business. That's great. So, so what's your what's your strategy to get there in three to five years? Are you gonna, you know, sell off a third of this and pay the other two thirds off and have it managed by a third party and then just live off part part of the income? Or how how are you gonna tackle this? Yeah. So, um, I think we're gonna keep flipping. So I don't say that we're going to stop the flipping business, but the part that we are gonna so we already hired one person locally here who he basically does. He does a lot of the running around for us and then using technology, like we use the app called company cam where, um, you know, we get progress photos and, uh, we have a really good, uh, contractor, general contractor. So really the piece of the business that we really need, um, at least for my portion of my role in the business is to find an acquisition person. So within the next, you know, year, I'd like to hire an acquisition person to somebody that can go chase the leads that we're you know, walk down the property and negotiate and all that kind of stuff. So sure. it's just a matter of hiring the right people and putting the right people in place um, to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about how you're sourcing all these flips you're doing. Are you using wholesalers or how are you locating these properties? We're probably about half um, from our own marketing. And then the other half is just from a variety of places. So, um, you know, fortunately I've, kind of been able to build a pretty good name for myself here in Kansas City. So a lot of people bring me deals, um, wholesalers. I get a lot of deals from wholesalers that other people, you know, never see. So I, um, I get first dibs on a lot of stuff. And then we do also have a pretty big um, marketing operation. So we do direct mail, we do cold calling, uh, we pay people to do driving dollars for us. And uh, we have a VA in the Philippines who you know, answers calls and all that kind of stuff. And we also have another um, another guy who's basically, he gets a cut. Uh, he manages the whole marketing process and he gets a cut um, up as well. So yeah. So there's another individual involved there. So, so, yeah. so of, the, of the different marketing techniques you're using, which one seems to be producing the most results? And it's... Uh, kind of mixed? There... It's kind of a mix. I don't think there's any clear winner. I, I think the, the thing is as competitive as they are right now, I think you kind of have to do a little bit of everything. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're going to start doing We haven't – I experimented a little bit with online marketing um, about a year ago and just didn't put the effort into it. So we're uh, in the process of getting that up and going as well. So, yep. Very cool. We'll see. Very cool. <laughs> So you got a lot of different lead sources um, bringing your your leads in. You said you're flipping five to seven. Are you flipping? Are you flipping five? Are you selling five to seven a month on average? Uh, I feel like four, probably four to six. Four to six. We're averaging right now. Yeah. Okay, so let's walk yeah, through. People, let's let's say that there's someone in the audience that's wanting to build their flipping business, and they're wanting to you know just sell maybe ten next year. How are you, mm-hmm. how are you, walk us through the process of getting a lead in the door and understanding whether this thing has flip potential and kind of the math you're running on these to determine, yeah. you know, if this is worth your time or not. Yeah. I mean, it's going to depend a lot on the market, but here in Kansas city, 
we are focusing on houses for our flips. We're in the like 105 to 250, 250,000 ARV range. So that's kind of where our sweet spot is. So for Kansas City, that's kind of below median price, affordable housing, first-time homebuyer type houses. And uh, we really like those because they, they sell fast. So we're typically under contract to sell within a couple of weeks, uh, depending on the market. And uh, we feel like, especially you know, where the market is right now, that's probably the, the least risky <laughs> sure. market to be in. Um, and then you were asking, sorry, what was the second part of your question? Yeah, I was just, uh, <laughs> you know, let's play like somebody's never flipped a house, but they want to do this. Uh-huh. Like walk us through the math. I mean, you know, as you do more of these, it becomes a lot easier to look at it and know if it's going to work, you know, but walk us through yeah. kind of like your logic, you know, the, um, the steps you're going through to understand whether you can make money on these or not. Yeah. I mean, so the first thing that I, I did was I built a spreadsheet that basically has all of our costs in there. So it's got, you know, I have basically three blanks that I have to fill in, which is the ARV the rehab and I have a backup detail sheet that I use to build my build up my rehab cost and then the purchase price and profit. Profit. So what I do is I figure out what the ARV is and uh, when I get a lead, I basically take that information, I send it to our realtor and uh, she sends me her price opinion and comps and then I will take a look at it myself and make sure that I agree with what she's saying. So I'm looking at, you know, bed, bath count, square feet. Um, proximity to the area and all that kind of stuff finishes level finishes there's definitely a little bit of an art and a little bit of science to running comps and figuring out arv but you can you know you can look up on online how to do that but uh sure you need to understand really well how to how to nail down your arv so that's really important and then i built a spreadsheet that has that allows me to really quickly kind of analyze the rehab so what i do is it's kind of like a feedback loop. And I honestly learned this from working in corporate, but what we do is um, whenever we get a rehab bed, I kind of feed that back into our, you know, into our sheet. So like, for example, the last roof average size ranch house cost this. I'm going to plug that into my sheet and that's kind of like my starting point. And then what I will do is I'll go down to the sheet and, you know, all major items, like how many windows does it need, how many doors, does it need a roof or not? Does it need gutters? You know, does it need siding, siding repairs, wood rot, how many bedroom or how many bathroom models does it need? How many, uh, you know, kitchen remodel, all that kind of stuff, foundation repairs, HVAC. So I kind of break it down into all the big buckets and I have kind of my starting point and then I'll go and I'll tweak it depending on the house. Like maybe this roof's a little bit bigger. I think it's probably, it's a little bit more intuitive for me. So if you're really just starting out, you probably want to have, you know, maybe air on the side of more detail. Like, sure. Like for me, I can eyeball a roof and tell you how much it's going to cost for a new, a newbie. They probably need to know, you know, how many square feet is it? What's the cost per square foot? Right. So sure. things like that. But anyway, so that allows me to really quickly build my, you know, build up my rehab. And, uh, obviously when you first get a lead, you probably haven't walked through the house yet. So like if we get an off market lead from our marketing, I'm going to ask them these big questions. Like how's the roof? How old are the windows? How is HVAC? What repairs do you know that it needs? The foundation, okay. So I, I try to like get a general idea what it needs. And if they tell me, you know, it needs basically general cosmetic updating, windows are okay, roof is two years old, blah, 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 then I can get a number that's pretty close. Sure. And then from that point, 
I can back into the profit. So I try to make about $20,000 on our houses. If it's like an average rehab, you know, average in that 105 to 250 range, you know, average amount of risk, I'm going to try to get about 20,000 profits. Then I back into what I can pay. And I always want to make sure that we're getting an offer out there preliminary first before I take the time to go out and drive and look at it. So I want to say, you know, based on everything that you're telling me and I ran sales comps, I think it's worth, I'm not going to tell them necessarily what I think it's worth, but so based on the information that you provided, I think I can offer you approximately X. If this sounds, you know, reasonable to you, I'll come take a look and I'll firm up my number and we'll go from there. Right. And the reason that I do that is because if I went and looked at every single house, I would be doing nothing but driving around all day, every day. <laughs> Absolutely. So, this allows you to make a lot of offers in a short period of time. And it, as you know, it's a numbers game. So yep. the more offers you can make, the, the higher your chances are. So Absolutely. that's basically what my process looks like. Absolutely. So, so in your offer, or do you start your offer off with an email or how are you presenting this? Um, it kind of varies a little bit, but usually it's, uh, usually it's both. So, um, it'll be a phone call. Yeah with a verbal offer followed up by, you know, a written offer. So do you typically go and, out and do you typically go out and look at the the property before you have a written contract presented? Yeah, typically. I mean, if there, every once in a while, there'll be one that we just know is like they say they will. We, have, we also ask them, you know, how much do you need for the property? So if they, yeah. if they give us a number that we know is going to work or if it has like a 99% chance of working, yeah. then we will go ahead and get it signed and then follow up and go check on it. Yep. But typically, typically we're trying to get like a verbal, yes, that sounds reasonable. And then we'll go look at it, yeah. firm it up and yeah. uh, get it signed. Yeah. We've, uh, we've been presenting, we'll, we'll write a, you know, if it's one we like that we run numbers on, we like it, especially if they're mm-hmm. from wholesalers and we know they're blasting it out to their list and it's a matter of time till somebody snatches it. Because what I've found yeah. on these, on these wholesaler deals if I recognize it's a good deal, other people are recognizing it as well. And, yeah. um, and unless it's like a pocket listing where they're bringing it to you first or something, if we get one mm-hmm. that's from a wholesale, it looks good. We'll go ahead and put a contract on it, but we'll put, um, some language in there saying contingent on satisfactory walkthrough or something like that. And, um, yeah. sometimes, sometimes they'll accept it. Sometimes they won't, but if they won't, yeah. I will not go under contract on it till I've walked through it. But if they will accept yeah. that, then I'll go ahead and, sign it, go over there and make sure I get a chance to walk through there. And I've honestly, I've never, I've never had one that we did this on that's, that's fallen through and I've lost money on so far. So that process has worked pretty well for me. Yeah, it it definitely, it definitely depends on the situation. So if you're, if you're off market and you're the only person that they're talking to, that's a lot different situation from you know an email blast from yep. a wholesaler that's definitely. going out to five thousand people. So. Definitely. So are yeah, you are you going and walking through these yourself or do you have boots on the ground help doing this? It is you that part so that's why I was saying to be locationally free I need to hire an acquisition person. So I think that's probably going to be our next hire. But right now I guess maybe it's a control thing, but I have not let go of that part of it yet. Um I feel like I've gotten pretty good at that and I enjoy doing it. So I'm sure. still doing the vast majority of the seller meetings. Yeah. Um, my partner, Matt, if I'm unavailable or out of town, he sometimes handles that for me. And, uh, the one guy that we do have working for us full time now, trying to groom him a little bit. So he might start doing some of them as well. But yeah. 
Very cool. Very cool, man. Yep. Well, so um, so how many are you trying to flip this year? Are you are you shooting for you know seventy or eighty flips, or what's your goal? Um, we we want to do six a month. Six and a month. I really okay. don't think I have any need to. You know, everybody's somebody was asking me, you know, if I want to scale anymore, and I really don't. I'm pretty happy with the volume that we're doing. Um, we just want to be, get better, more profitable, and streamline our existing systems. Because uh, you know, six flips a month is more than enough money. <laughs> Absolutely, we don't need yeah. to. I don't need to make more money than that. I just need, you know, I want it to support the lifestyle. So I want to make yeah. it a little bit less stressful. And uh, you're talking about Maui. I definitely got some inspiration from those guys. <laughs> realize, yeah, that. and probably there's a lot of things that I could learn. You know, as far as lifestyle and and uh you know making the business more sustainable and fun to run so yeah i think that that's actually more of a priority for me right now than you know trying to scale up and sure become a larger business yeah so So i'm i'm curious just because we're doing the same thing our goal this year is to uh, primarily flip because we don't Mm want to keep any more single families and i'm also working on buying apartment complexes as my next Mm -hmm. thing um but i'm curious how are you guys you know let's say you flip you know, 72 houses this year. And of mm-hmm. course that's a, that, you know, at 20,000 a piece, that's a lot of money. Um, how are you, how are you divvying? Obviously you got to pay the short-term capital gains tax on it, but how are you divvying up this money? Are you earmarking, you know, a certain percentage back into your business and reserves and then splitting it with your partner, the rest, or how are you doing? Like, what are you doing with that money? I would like to say that I have some perfect formulas for how that happens, but no, it's more of a, it's more of a, just look at it every month and you know, where are we at? If we're sitting on some excess, we'll take a distribution. And gotcha. both my partner and we have a bunch of different entities as well. Right. So like my partner's got, he owns some rentals on the side. It's just him. I've got some that are just me and I've got some with another partner. And so if there's, if there's excess cash and we don't have a solid plan for, you know, we don't have a plan for how we're going to use it, then we're just going to take as a distribution from those places. Cool. Um, we are planning to start acquiring some more rents again, though. Very cool. Well, dude, this has yeah. been awesome, man. I, I you've got yeah. a, you've been very successful and have made a, a ton of traction and progress, and um, it's it's uh, it's inspiring to see what you're doing. I love that you're that you're not trying to necessarily grow right now, but you're trying to simplify your life because. I think uh, if you do all this stuff and you just create a bunch of, you know, work and phones ringing for yourself and you don't simplify your life and really enjoy the fruits of all this, there's really no point to it. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's not, you're not trying to create more work for yourself. You're trying to achieve financial freedom. And, you know, once you get there, it's important to, to be thankful and happy where you are and not, not always be trying to just build a bigger, a bigger uh, thing, you know? So um, I love yeah. that, man. I love that. So tell us, I mean, what's the, what is the mindset required? Cause I'm, I think it's all about mindset. What is the mindset required oh, sure. for somebody that's struggling with their nine to five right now that wants to get into real estate investing that feels like they, they really don't kind of know exactly what to do, but they have that desire. Like go back to yourself when you were kind of in that situation you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like, what kind of advice would you give that version of you? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can tell usually within about five minutes of talking to somebody, I've got a pretty good, I get surprised every once in a while, but 
I usually have a pretty good idea if they're going to actually do something or not. Um, you you got to get yourself to that point where it's not like it would be nice to have because if it's a, oh, I want to do that, you're not going to do it. You got to get to the point where it's like, I'm going to do this or die making it happen. Right, <laughs> right. Like you, you have to like, you got to get yourself to a point where like, this is a must for you. I know Tony Robbins says that, but you got to get, you got to get yourself to a point where it's a must. It's not a nice to have. Right. Um, and like we talked about all the good things and, you know, the, the successes and, uh, you know, the passive income and all that, but it is not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It is a ton <laughs> of work I, too. I, I don't want to like convince anybody that it's easy to do. I mean, there's, you name it, bad thing has happened to us. I mean, oh, I've yeah. had contractors stole money. Yep, I've had same here. Somebody defraud me. I've had, you know, <laughs> a tenant die, had a fire, mm. gotten sued more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it's an uphill battle, right? Yes. <laughs> and yes. It, it does get easier, but it's, I mean, it's, uh, I don't want to underestimate or I don't want people to underestimate how difficult it is. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so don't let me tell you otherwise. No, it, it's, so, de- yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely difficult. And it's, it's, um, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that if you're willing to, if you're just willing to keep doing it, if you're willing to keep trying at it and keep learning, it's going to, it's going to be really hard at times and you're going to hit some lows with it. But if you'll just keep going and not stop at that point, it'll work, you know? It will. Yeah. It's just, it's all about persistence and you just gotta, you gotta have the staying power and whatever. I mean, I mentally, you talk about mindset. I mean, I've, you know, I, I spend, I only probably spend about a third. I, I'm obsessive about education, but only about a third of that is actually real estate. A lot of it's like self-development and mm-hmm. psychology and behavior and habits and, uh, you know, just general business, but trying to figure out, you know, how to become that type of person that you need to be, need to be to build a business. Right. So there's a lot of that aspect that, you know, you definitely have to attend to. <laughs> Sure. So, I mean, like, like at a really high level, we don't have to go deep into this, but what, I mean, what do you have to have mindset wise to do it? Like, are there, are there a couple like characteristics that you've identified? Uh, definitely stubbornness. I mean, you have to, you have to be willing to, you know, work through failure after failure without giving up. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So just brutal persistence. Yeah. Um, I really, I'm a huge fan of morning routines. So I like, I follow the miracle morning routine or as my version of that. But I think having some sort of a practice, daily practice that, you know, helps you reinforce your goals and remind you the things that you're trying to accomplish and like some sort of a daily reset that keeps you on track definitely helps. So some sort of a routine there, um, I'd say is probably the biggest thing that I've done that's really helped me a lot. So yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Cool. Well, um, give us a couple books you'd recommend because I know you read a ton. Um, mm-hmm. Give us a couple books you recommend. Everybody check out, and uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. Um, so this has nothing to do with real estate, but as far as understanding behavior and limiting beliefs and psychology and that kind of thing, um, there's a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind uh, by Vishen Makiani, and I think that's probably one of my favorite ones for kind of understanding how to do extraordinary things or become an extraordinary person. I thought that was a really good book. Um, 
The other one that I really liked that I read recently was Principles by Ray Dalio. Yeah, great one. And uh, really long, but man, really it's long. completely yeah. full of... <laughs> really long. <laughs> uh, great on Audible for a long road trip, but uh, really good. <laughs> lots, of, lots of little gold nuggets there on just how to... You know, a lot, a lot of the problems are it's psychology. It's yeah. having blind spots or making bad decisions because of biases and stuff like that. And that mm-hmm. book was just really good for addressing all that. Yeah. And I actually bought The Code of the Extraordinary Mind at your recommendation like six months ago. So uh, I've been reading that one slowly, but that's been, I've really enjoyed that too. So yeah, cool, dude. Well, uh, man, it's been a all blast. Right. Thanks for sharing your story and stuff and um, look forward to seeing what you accomplish and, and staying in touch with you and. Yeah, man. It's been awesome. Appreciate you having me on. Hopefully we uh, see each other now again soon. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm expecting you to to simplify this business and to move down there and get a place. So I expect you to just be having me over. So. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll catch you later. All right. Talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please connect with me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor or via email at josiasmelser at gmail.com. My new book titled Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals is out. You can get it either in digital or physical format on Amazon. Once you've read the book, please leave me a review. Tune in next time for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor as we both join in our financial freedom journey.